0: because if you don't know your history you don't know your future and your future is to be what happened the other days under Martin, Jimmy Murphy without doubt and, and, and tell them that what Jimmy did about planting seeds of it, the, the history It's the m- most important thing you can do with young players coming to My United tell them what the, their expectation is to realise the expectation you know what? for a point for My United there's no point for Bolton Wonders or Billy or all right, still it's probably for the biggest club in the world.
1: This is an episode focusing on Manchester United's best eleven. A series focusing on Manchester United's best eleven. I'm Wayne Barton. I'm with Paddy Barclay. How are you, sir?
2: Very well indeed. Thanks. Looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, we're joined by a very special guest today. Um, in deciding topics for a new series of podcasts, we had an ambitious one with an ambitious, desirable guest for the first um, for the opening swing of it. Really, and the topic is your best ever Manchester United team, picked by famous names of Manchester United past. I've been fortunate enough to write a few books on United and I've followed them for all of my life. Um, Paddy's covered the club for even longer than I've been alive and has co- of course has written some definitive books on the club as well and certain individuals who have worked for the club. Both of us though, bow our heads when it comes to knowledge of the club and when it comes to our guest, former chairman of Manchester United, Martin Edwards. Martin, it's an absolute delight that you've joined us. Uh, how are you?
0: I'm very good, thank you. I'm pleased to be here.
1: Brilliant. Um, so the rules are effectively, there are none, um, <laughs> or you create your own, as much as you're the perfect guest for us, Martin, I imagine that it's not um, a very easy task that we've presented you with.
0: Um, it's probably easier than you think, because I think great players do tend to to stand out, uh, but it's it's difficult in the sense that you're also leaving great players out as well because of the, 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 the difficult choice. Um, but I did it for my uh, for my book uh, a few years ago, and uh, I've not altered my opinions from that day. So for me, it's quite an easy task now because I've I've already been through the exercise.
1: Tide uh, tried and uh, trusted them with Martin's um, selection. Um, it's an interesting thing. We've talked about this week. We had a sort of brief run through before and Of course, I've read Martin's book. I've Paddy's. Um,
2: Red Glory very very good read by the way if anybody hasn't read it um, I would highly recommend it the first thing is Paddy um, I guess before we
1: even get to the players you talk about the, the shape of the team and when you look at the shape of the team um, we will ask, ask Martin in a moment what, what he's gone with when it comes to the 11, but what would you class as the sort of definitive? Because there have been a couple that have won European Cups. It's not an obvious. I mean, if you look at the first European Cup, it's a 4 3 3. If you look at the, yes. the last couple that United played in with Ronaldo, it was a 4 3 3. They've only ever played 4 4 2,
2: which mm-hmm. is their traditional shape in one European Cup final, really. Yeah. I don't want to preempt Martin's choice, but my guess. <coughs> Knowing him is that he will pick a team that is that could go out and play. In other words, what I find when 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 I'm doing with mates, you know, greatest world greatest team that I've ever seen, I end up with a team that really wouldn't would probably lose because it's all attackers and no defenders. Um, But knowing Martin and uh, knowing having actually read his book, and uh, so I've got an inkling of what he's going to go for. Um, I think you'll pick a team that could actually go out and play, a team that is quite balanced. But uh, let's see, that's up to the man himself.
1: Yeah, Martin, what I am really fascinated about, uh, away from the individuals, is the fact that you went for everything about the team screams quintessential Manchester United, and that does go right down to the formation. Um, Tell us about the formation and was it important to you to have that formation when selecting the team?
0: Um, well, because I've got sort of versatile players, it's you know whatever whatever you put out, they can adapt during a game. But I've basically gone for a four-two-four. I've gone for uh, a team that I think can can uh, it's got it's strong enough in defence uh, with two very strong midfield players and four attacking players up front. So I've gone for four-two-four. But actually, if you actually look at the balance of it, it's probably four-two-three with one up front. So, you know, you can play around with, with, with numbers all day and call them what you like. But it's, I've, I've gone for an attacking side, but I've also got plenty of depth in defence as well. Yeah,
1: especially when you look at some of the players uh, there, they're, they're multidisciplined, they can play in different areas. And that's one of the great things that I loved about this, Paddy. I mean, when we were talking to Martin before this, it's yeah. almost a bit strange how revolutionary some aspects of it. We haven't even seen them in football yet, but when you look at it, you think, oh, it's actually quite revolutionary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely, it's a fascinating selection
1: So we'll start with the goalkeeper then Obviously United have had um, a number of great goalkeepers A couple, you know, they've broken the world transfer record for a couple of them as well um, And those goalkeepers over a certain period have almost like um, recycled themselves in a way we, we, Paddy and I have talked about how Ari Gregg was um, Sir Matt Busby's, Peter Schmeichel and then yeah. and then Al Alex said he was almost like a Van der Sar. And you had that kind of um area in repeat really under, under Sir Alex Ferguson as well. So many uh, so many great names to pick from. Um Martin, how difficult was it for you to pick the name and who did you go for in the end?
0: Well, uh, I mean, uh, you've mentioned a couple of goalkeepers there that, that were on my list. I mean, when I first started watching United, Harry Gregg was the first choice goalkeeper, and he, he was a British record fee when we bought him. I think it was some like twenty-three thousand or twenty-three and a half thousand pounds from Doncaster, yeah. um, and uh, he was he was the man in, the man in goal when I started watching. Shortly afterwards, in the sixties, Alex Stepney came in. Of course, he was our goalkeeper when when we won the uh, European Cup. And then in the 80s, you had Gary Bailey, who came into uh, consideration. Um, But uh, then, then of course, you had the Peter Schmeichel era, and followed by van der Sar. So you've got five or six very good goalkeepers there. Uh, And, of course, today you've got uh, David De Gea, Mm -hmm. who is uh, no slouch himself, and has had a a great career at United as well. I think he's been player of the year about four times. But of of those six that I've, I've mentioned, I think the two absolute standouts for me were Peter Schmeichel and uh, Van der Sar. Uh, And again, I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. Um, I actually believe that if, if uh, Van der Sar had come in immediately when Schmeichel retired, United would have won uh, more honours. I think they'd maybe made a couple of European Champions Leagues for us in there. Um, but it was close, uh, but I, I went for Peter Schmeichel. I thought he was absolutely dominant there in the 90s, which was United's most successful era ever. But I, So I picked him as my first choice, but I put Van Nassar on the bench. And it, it wouldn't bother me if, 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 uh, which one played, to be honest.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, Paddy? Um, yeah. Peter Schmeichel, um, and we've just finished a series looking at um, Sir Alex's early years. And it's difficult to overstate how Schmeichel influenced that team and how he changed it. I mean, we talk about revolutionising goalkeeping. I don't want to start saying every Manchester United player was revolutionary, but Schmeichel, with, in terms of his frame, really, in a ways, not so much the way that he played, apart from the the, mass, the fact that his size and the fact he had these massive arms meant that he could throw the ball 60 yards instead of kicking yeah. it 60 yards. So it was more like his, his physicality, which was um, redefining the position, wasn't it?
2: Yes, it's funny you talk about his distribution. I, I remember at times, once or twice, when I was a journalist, uh, uh, not exactly criticising him, but saying that he over uh, he overhit his passes. Uh, it, it, you know, there were throws. He would, he would actually <laughs> bypass the strikers and it would go to the other keeper. Uh, he had such strength in his arms. But, uh, no, uh, 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 definitely a goalkeeper who had everything. And um, But I, I'm still... Uh, delighted that Martin ran him so close with Edwin van der mm-hmm. I've had lots of um, arguments with United fans ab- about this, and and to me, yes, I, I, they were almost even. Stephen, um, and and some people have said, "Nah, it's Michael, much better." Blah blah blah. You know, with all due respect to van der and uh, nobody's ever said he's anything other than a superb goalkeeper. But the the, the sort of uh, idolatry of of um, of Schmeichel was, is is so great and his place in the United's history, so I shall be strengthened by uh, the authority of C. Martin Edwards in future arguments, uh, and uh, uh, this will this will throw me back into the goalkeeper arguments with renewed strength. I think that although a more subtle goalkeeper than um, uh, or a less demonstrative goalkeeper than Schmeichel, Van der Sar was one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, the Schmeichel for me was the best. Um, but,
1: yes. but again, I'm, I'm talking from a United supporter perspective. Um, I'd be really interested to know more. And while we are on Schmeichel because obviously you give sort of less time to a goalkeeper that's the nature of the beast and when you talk about outfield players they get a little bit more glory but Peter Schmeichel made a couple of um, incredible saves at United um, there was one that he made at Rapid Vienna which was Gordon Banks where the ball was on the ground um, and he managed to claw it away and then there was one against Inter Milan where he did I always seem to remember him doing the star jump and I can't ever remember it working actually apart from the time he did it against Ivan Zamorano um, against Inter Milan where he made the goal um, look tiny because of his massive frame. I was wondering if, if either of those were your favourite save from Peter or did he perhaps have, a, have another one?
0: Peter made so many great saves and of course he made a couple of great saves in the final um, when we won yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the Champions True. League so he was just a great goalkeeper right? and as you say his presence so he did do that star jump and everything else but I think he I think he terrified, I mean, he terrified his own defence. I'm I'm, I'm certainly terrified the uh, opposing uh, attackers because he was just, he he, he was uh, so determined and and he was a giant of a man, I mean, six foot four and he was built built a bit like a heavyweight boxer. So with him coming at you at at speed, uh, you know, he he certainly uh, put put some opposing centre forwards off. So I think he was just a great, a, a big presence in that goal, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, absolutely was. What was he like as a person? And you talk about this fiery character who, yeah, we all remember him barking at the, the defenders, <laughs> often when it was his own fault he <laughs> he'd throw a few verbal volleys out there. But what was he like as a person?
0: Off the field, I, I always got on very well with Peter and, and I, I always thought I had a very good relationship with him. And I asked him to actually write the foreword to my book and, <laughs> and he, he was very willing to do it. He didn't want any assistance. He said, no, he'd like to do it himself. So I, I had he was an intelligent man peter spycl um you know you could have a, a negotiation with him he didn't need a lot of people around him you know he could stand up for himself so yeah. um he was just very very well rounded i thought brilliant um
1: when you look through the team paddy um yeah. as as you know we have done already and I know we're going to talk about some great players, but I'm really bemused by the area of the team that we're going to talk about next to the fullbacks. backs This is the thing that really struck me from the conversations that we've had with Martin and looking at it in, in his book. It's like, this is the revolutionary idea for me because um, I don't want to spoil it by talking about the fullbacks, but um, it's just a great selection, isn't it?
2: Yes. I think that one of the most... Uh, I'll leave it to Martin to to go th- to, to f- flesh out the detail but one of the players who I'm certain will be in his mix probably, possibly in his team is one of the most underrated <coughs> players in the history of Manchester United and the best player in his position which is fullback that I've ever seen play for Manchester United yeah. uh, but I'll leave it up to Martin to, um, to, to talk in detail yeah, let's run through them then Martin
1: I mean you've got some incredible selections here. Some of those players who The full backs tend to be more durable at United There's some that um, are Ranking in the top 20 appearance makers Probably three or four of them in there um, How did you come to your selection? Who were the, the two that you've gone for in the end?
0: Through all the different eras And of course when I started uh, watching United um, uh, Shea Brennan and Tony Dunn were the, were the fullbacks, backs They were the fullbacks that actually played in the final uh, of the European Cup in 68 in fact Francis Burns had actually played every game in in the uh, in the competition I think until the final Mm -hmm. when uh, Matt decided to switch Tony Dunn from left back to right back um, uh, and brought in uh, uh, sorry from uh, sorry Tony Dunn was playing right back Burns was playing (laughs) left back and he he switched him so that he could bring Shane Brennan's experience in for the final so Francis Burns was very very Unlucky, really, not to yeah. not to play. Uh, so they were the two fullbacks in the sixties. I think in the seventies. I think of Jimmy Nicholl was paid was a useful fullback around about that time. And then in the eighties, you had Mickey Duxbury came in for a while. John Gidman came in for a while. Um, but I suppose Gary Neville was the was the main one in the nineties. He seemed to sort of uh, make that position his own, not just for Manchester United but for England. So Gary came into the into the reckoning as well. If you look at uh, uh, left backs, then I mean a great left back o- over the over the years has been was, was, was Evra, mm. uh, and so I would say that those it came down to those four, but in the end I went for what I, for the two most versatile fullbacks. I think Paddy was referring before when he talked about that his greatest full-back for Manchester United was Tony Dunne, yes, and he's correct, certainly correct. In, in my team as well. So I've put him at left back. I couldn't leave Dennis Irwin out, because I thought, I thought those, those were probably the two best full-backs, but certainly the two most versatile. Yeah, so in, in, the, in the end, I went for the, the versatility. So I went for Tony Dunn at left-back, and I went for Dennis Irwin at uh, right-back. Uh, and I think they could switch just as easily. Yeah. If one got injured or whatever, you know, they could switch around, and you could bring somebody else in. So I've gone for, for, for versatility, really. But I also believe that they were probably the two uh, most talented full-backs.
1: Yeah, seven out of tens every week, Paddy, with those two, and then the thing is, when you're talking about players who, you, you might take one player out for a game, like, I, I can remember um, Rafael De Silva telling me that he would get taken out of games where he knew that, where Sir Alex knew that there was going to be a lot of corners because... Chris Smalling would be better at playing a right back in that situation yes. with Tony Dunn and uh, Dennis Irwin um, there's no need to take them out of the team you just switch them round if you think one of them is going to have If I yes. mean and, and then it's difficult to find an opponent where you would think they would be embarrassed by them
2: yes absolutely um, both footballers as well um, Dunn has the edge for me um, I, I don't know why Probably, maybe because he He was, uh, you know, more compact, uh, an absolutely brilliant defender. Not that Dennis Irwin wasn't. Um, I mean, they'd both be in my list of best um, fullbacks that I've ever seen in in English football. They'd they'd both be in my top six, actually, or five, probably. Um, So, you know, you really couldn't say a word against them, but they were footballers. There was absolutely uh, uh, no question uh, and, and, and we, we talked uh, uh, Martin talked about in the goalkeeping section about Alex Stepney and rightly so um, but uh, Alex would tell you that uh, he would he would never be in any doubt uh, about hurling the ball out to Tony Dunn under any pressure because he was so had such good control was so unflustered and uh, one other little detail about Tony Dunn have another look at, at Alex's save Alex Stepney's save from Eusebio and I'm sure that, that Eusebio is hurried into hitting that shot a little earlier than he otherwise would enabling Alex to save and United to go on to win it um, against Benfica uh, by the positional player of Tony Dunn as he comes across to uh, to cover uh, absolutely sensational player and all I can say you say they were both 7 out of 10s every game they were erwin and Dunn probably 8s most of the time um, mm. but I'd give uh I'd give Mr. Edwards ten out of ten for his good judgment. For his good judgment. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm probably doing
1: them a disservice with that. Well, I, I'm talking about reliability and, and durability as well. Yeah, um, absolutely.
2: They never they never went below seven. That's 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 the truth. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know
1: the the, the complementary side of it is Erwin possibly a better footballer than Dunn but Dunn had a little bit more when it came to athleticism You know, yeah. Dunn would be a bit of a liner um, and I say a liner as much as a fullback would be he was a little bit more athletic than Irwin not to say that Irwin wasn't athletic but you saw Irwin mix it up in, in becoming a footballer as well and that's why they were so good interchangeable Irwin brilliantly both footed and um, and Dunn certainly wouldn't let you down on either side either and um, so that takes us to the centre of and centre off a position that's changed over the years, Paddy. Um, before we actually talk to Martin about the the identity of those players, it's strange um, when you look at this modern formation because that's what it is. People look at the sort of post sixties and it's a traditional four four two, but it's mm. difficult um, for some people to sort of comprehend that formations defensively after the war. Defensively was the biggest shake-up in terms of um, how positioning yeah. changed, wasn't yes. it?
2: Yes, yes, that's true. Um, certainly since the 1920s, um, when, you know, the, the third back... Sorry, the, the, the centre-back um, moved. The uh, centre-back used to be a midfield position. Mm. Um, uh, so certainly since then, the period... I mean, people... Look back at that great events that happened in the sixties, often at Wembley. The Man United, England winning the World Cup, uh, and so on. And um, what what younger people might not know is that is that those players were coping with an evolution in the shape of teams. You know, the the I mean, Martin's picked 4, four, two, four. Um, and that was that was coming in at that time. It had been probably. You know to swept the board really, since mm-hmm. Brazil used it in nineteen fifty eight world cup uh the four two four actually it was four two four it was martin's martin's yeah. system he's stealing from the Brazilians here <laughs> anyway um that so they were coping nobby styles was was you know moving moving back um was an example of that um because i I'm pretty sure when Bill Fuulkes started playing he would have been a alone centre half. Martin might correct me on that. I think I, I Folks
1: don't... actually started as a fullback, and Jimmy re- did. retrained him. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so the back four was just evolving during. I mean, it had pretty well evolved during the 60s. But that was that was uh, the new system. But anyway, interesting to see who uh, Martin picks. But uh, because he's got one hell of a choice, yeah. and you think of centre backs at Man United, it's very difficult to avoid thoughts of uh, of the 1994 team, the, F- the Ferguson's first great team but anyway, uh, 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 I'm j- I just want to hear who Martin's going
1: for <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting though, you mentioned styles, you mentioned folks that's two centre-offs who won the European Cup in, in the 60s um, but United, have, like you said, they've got rich pickings from center off. so uh, Martin, um, where, where did you start with this one?
0: Uh, it's funny how you talk about Foulkes and Styles because uh, when I first start, started, well, Ronnie Cope was the centre half. Cope and Crowther were the centre halves when I started watching. But oh, yeah. during the sixties, United's success was was Foulkes and Styles with the two, two centre halves. And as you say, it's changed now because uh, I mean, Nobby Styles played in midfield for England in the World Cup, exactly. but he was, he, he was a great, a great great alongside Foulkes know, they, they, they were a great pair in the 60s then you had the 70s and you had, then again you had Buchan and Greenough you hadn't got a giant amongst those two and they played together for a, a long while um, so it, 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 the game has changed and of course you had Jim Holton who came in there for a little while um, and then in the, a bit later on Gordon McQueen we bought Gordon Queen which was a record fee at the time half a million pounds he came in for a while um, and then of course you had um, Alex's era uh, the beginning of Alex's era you had Pallister and Bruce <coughs> playing together they were a great partnership um, uh, you know winning trophies together and all the rest of it and then after that a bit later on you had S- uh, Stam and uh, Jonsen, of course um, did the treble they, they were the two centre-house when we did the treble and we won the league three years on the run ninety-nine, two thousand, and 2000 2001 and then after that, you you had uh, Ferdinand and Vidic, so you know some some great partnerships and some great uh, great individual players there. So I had to sort of pick the best out of them, and I, and I came up with probably four names at the end that that, that, that I thought challenge, really challenged for that position. And I came up with um, uh, Pallister, Vidic, Ferdinand, and Stam. And then I had to pick what I, who I thought could would make the best combination. And I think probably the outstanding centre-back for me of all of them was probably Yap Stamm. Mm. So I put him in as right-sided centre-back and then I thought, well, who will complement him? Which then rather ruled out Village. So it be- then became Pallister. And I just thought Rio was the, probably, probably the more versatile of the two. So in the end, I went for uh, Stamm and uh, Rio Ferdinand because I thought they'd be a great combination, right and right and left and you've got the stopper there and you've also got the distributor there so I just thought that helped the, the balance of the team but I also picked Vidic then as the reserve centre-back and I picked Martin Buchan also uh, as, a, as a reserve centre-back because he could play left-sided centre-back but he could also cover the, the left-back position and he, he, either uh, if Irwin or Dunn got injured Martin, back, Martin Buchan could fill in at left-back and you could just switch the other, full back you could just fi- switch the the left back if needed be to right back because they were so versatile that's the thing with
1: them, though, um, Paddy. Erwin <laughs> and Don never did get injured. They, they play the, they'll play the five or six hundred uh, games. Uh,
2: uh, that's a fair point, <laughs> I, I went, and went on to prove that there was life after Manchester United because both played in the top division for other clubs afterwards, Bolton and Wolves, respectively. Yeah. But yeah, the the, the thing I, I mentioned about about Don was the neatness and tidiness, and. Um, it's it, it, wonderful of Martin to mention uh, Martin Buchan mm-hmm. so highly in his all-time list because, uh, you know, da, like Don, uh, Buchan was just immaculate. Um, everything he did, there wasn't a wasted movement, really, in, in what he did because so much was done in his brain. Um, so I'm really pleased. But um, also very pleased with Martin's selection of Stam. Because Stam, although he wasn't a fancy player, and that he was solid, he was as solid as he looks. You know, mm. he was he was he was Bill fulks solid. He was, you know, he, he he really was not a guy to mess with. He was also a very good footballer. You know, how many times can you remember Stam giving a silly ball away? Uh, uh, I can't. I can't remember any. Um, uh, I mean, he was he was totally reliable. Uh, and a footballer, uh, someone who wouldn't necessarily be extravagant in his, in, in his passing, but who would give it to somebody who could uh, do that. Um, so absolutely great selection there, um, and Rio Ferdinand as well, because although Rio Ferdinand was famous all through his career, was noted for being a, a ball-playing centre-half, Alex Ferguson uh, curbed that side of his game, I mean, I think Rio would have liked to, be, when he was at West Ham, would have liked to have developed into a, a libero, you know, a, a mm. player, a, a playmaker from the back, a la Ronald Koeman. But uh, Alex uh, insisted that the needs of the team would be met if Rio concentrated on his game, uh, game reading and physical attributes. And you know, uh, apart from the European Cup final where he got out-jumped by Lionel Messi he wasn't <laughs> out-jumped by Lionel Messi but Lionel Messi scored a heading got goal against Rio uh, it's probably the one thing he'd like to take out of his CV but well, a wonderful footballer you know, you just uh, for, for all his, his uh, technical ability Rio, he concentrated certainly for for his, during his Manchester United and England career on doing what a centre-half supposed to be, so yeah, tremendous uh, combination at the back, and and oh, by the way, just one brief little thing. Um, I, I know Vidic can do no wrong in in Man United's uh, fans' mind, and the fact that he was first reserve at centre back, in other words, the third best centre back of Martin Edwards's, um, you know, era of being a fan, um, you know, kind of reflects that. But for me, if he had a fault, it was that he, a rashness, which Stam never had, that he might, you know, he might not be on the park, you know, because he might get a second yellow or something like that, which happened to him a couple of times in high profile matches, uh, but, but Stam knows, Stam's judgment was just that wee bit superior.
1: Yeah, a game against Liverpool wasn't complete without uh, with a Vidic
2: <laughs> without a Vidic red card, was it? With Vidic, exactly. Vidic he always got always first in the bath.
1: The 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 mention of Ferdinand um, as a sort of the redefinition of him as a centre off I, I, I do find that fascinating because that's something that over the years I can remember a quote from um, Sir Alex. He mentioned about Paolo Maldini um, about how he never. Look to have any dirt on his shirt and i I'm sure that he gave some of that advice to Ferdinand and over that period where you you were talking about where Ferdinand seemed to he always had those attributes don't get me wrong but when he was maturing into a top center off um into that's that's period between the European Cup finals basically from two thousand eight to two thousand eleven where he really came into his own. I did um, a study on him because I was thinking I'm sure there's something of the Maldini in in this and the point that Ferguson was making was that Maldini never had to make a tackle because he read the ball so well and I studied two months of Ferdinand before one Christmas and he didn't make a tackle within two months Mm. it's an extraordinary statistic for a centre-half but that, that was how good Ferdinand's reading of the game became and you know a lot of people sort of would joke about his rash, not his rashness, but the they thought he was a better player than what he was sometimes. But I, th- I think not a lot of credit was given to him for that um, intelligence which he, he developed in his play. So yeah, I I would go with that. I mean, Dunn, Ferdinand, Stam, Irwin, whichever whichever way you want to put those fullbacks. Um, that that's a, an extraordinary back line for me. He's got pace, physicality, um, power, yeah, everything's in there, and then a great reading of the game. From all four players at Stam as well, yes. you mentioned Stam um, a little bit more. I just think that there was something extra about Stam to Vidic, and I certainly agree with what you were saying there, Paddy. Um, physicality and power. Um, when you look at United's midfield choice, um, when you look at Martin's midfield choice, those are the two... Um, Attributes that really stand out Martin United have had so many Good midfielders and again This is, might be an area where you might be Tempted to sort of move one player into a, Another position sort of accommodate them But um, Good grief you look at that um, Those two players and It's really quintessential United um, Talk me through the names that You were considering and why You went with the two that you went with in the end
0: Well I thought the, the outstanding The um... Uh, midfielder of the 1960s was probably Paddy Creran mm. and uh, they they always used to say that if Paddy Creran played well, Manchester United played well and he certainly was very instrumental in the win- as winning the FA Cup in 63 and the uh, European Cup in 68 and a couple of leagues in between he was probably the outstanding midfield player in that in, in that side, although Bobby could play midfield or up front or whatever else in the 17 Tommy Docks area, you had um, people like Jimmy off Lou Macari and, and McElroy and players like that. Not necessarily outstanding players but they were a very good team without necessarily the outstanding individuals. If you go to the 80s then you, of course Robson came into it then and and Norman Whiteside and, um, and I, I, the player I liked very much in the 80s was Arnold and I thought his skill level was, 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 was fantastic. But um, if you then come to the 90s, of course, Robson was still playing. You had Keane in there, you had Ince in there, and you had Scholes in there. All played a big part in, in, in winning trophies in the, in the 90s. Um, and, of course, um, Scholes continued to play in the '90s as well, so, uh, and, and so did Keane for the for first few years of that. Uh, more, more recently, you've had Carrick, who's come into it, and all the rest of it. But I think if you're actually picking outstanding individuals, uh, then I, I think Captain Fantastic Robson has to come into the mix there, probably on on left side of, of midfield. You then come down to the choice of Keane or Skulls for me. They, they're the two outstanding midfielders of of, of, of those eras. Uh, a very, very difficult choice, uh, really. So I've actually gone for Keane with Skulls on the bench. Uh, but, you know, you could play any, any two of those three and uh, you'd have a fantastic mid- midfield. And that's leaving out great players like Paddy Crean. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that, those were the uh, the three that I came up with. Uh, first choice, Keane and uh, Robson.
1: Incredible selection that Keenan Robson, and it's only when you you sort of reduce all the other names and you just take two names on the merit for what they they were, Paddy Keenan Robson yeah. and how good they were, and then you look at the selection. I mean, it's lucky that Martin's such good friends with Martin Book and, and Paddy Crennan because you wouldn't want to leave them out of any team, would you? Um, I, I certainly wouldn't. But yeah, I, you can't argue with Keenan Robson. What one thing? Uh, what would you um, say about, about that selection, Paddy? I mean, it's, it's difficult to argue with.
2: Oh, it's, a, it's a very good selection. It continues Martin's uh, theme of, of not sacrificing um, uh, practicality for flair. A wonderful comb- right-left combination, as Martin mentioned. Um, you couldn't leave Keane out for me um, if you were trying to build a balanced team. And at the moment, the team is still perfectly balanced. Um, uh, I think uh, you simply can't argue with his choice. I, I think Keane... Uh, for sheer consistency over the period of his service to Manchester United would edge it over Scholes for me although Scholes obviously a more extravagantly gifted player people again we we talked about Rio um, coming under the Ferguson influence and, and tailoring his game to the needs of the team uh, I think that's certainly uh, true of, of Scholes and certainly of, of Keane mm. who uh, obviously came to United's Attention when at Nottingham Forest, where he was a very he would he would be in among the strikers. You know he was all, he was hungry for goals at Nottingham Forest. People forget that, and that he only became uh, what you might call a, 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 a you know the cement of the team, the 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 the, the leader of the team and the, the responsible leader of the team, um, uh, because because Ferguson considered that was what the team needed. Um, Uh, so yeah uh, definitely uh, definitely agree with that selection and so uh, you know for the front sorry the back seven of this team so far makes me think that that Martin was probably the the best manager Man United never had (laughs) he was too too modest to, to pick the team himself <laughs> I thought, although although Michael Knighton might not have been so shy, but um, <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's I, all I can say is yeah, great great selection again
1: the one bone of contention that well not bone of contention really but one thing that you raised in when we were planning this Paddy was the, the omission of Duncan Edwards um, I'd be interested to know Martin um, Martin if you could talk us through the, the reason for why he didn't really factor in the team and, and some of the other Munich lads as well.
0: Well I mean I, 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 that, my brief was, was really since i have been watching and I started watching in 1958 just after the Munich crash I, uh, you know, I, I had been to a game before when I was seven years old against uh-huh. Wolves in 1952. But I and my father went on the board just after the day after the Munich air crash. So that's when I started going. I was 12 years old uh, in 1958, and uh, that's when I started watching. So I never saw Duncan play. But uh, you know, if, 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 if I had to consider the Munich team, there's probably three players there that would come under consideration. Mm. I think Roger Byrne would come into consideration at left-back. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying he would have got in, he might have got in, and we might have moved one of the others to right-back or whatever, but he'd have been in contention. I think Duncan Edwards, I think, would certainly have been in the team because everybody I've ever spoken to about Duncan Edwards, they always said that they, they, they thought he was the greatest Manchester United player ever. And I once sat next to Billy Wright at a dinner, an FA dinner. And of course, Duncan Billy Wright, was number five, centre-half. Duncan played alongside him for England 19 times before. He he was capped when he was 18. He died at 21. He'd already played 19 times for for England, 18, 19 times. And I asked Billy Wright, how good was he? And uh, Billy Wright said he was the best player he ever played with or against. Wow. he said as a matter of fact he said i have a picture in my house he said i'll tell you how duncan how good duncan was he said i have a picture in my house on the wall and he said duncan is coming away with the ball i'm in the picture watching the scottish inside forward it's on the ground duncan is coming away with the ball at his feet and he's turning round and he's talking to the Scottish inside forward on the floor he said I had that up there because that was was the level I tried to reach he said I never got there
2: (laughs) that's a wonderful story that really is but uh, all I would say about Duncan Edwards who uh, I never saw as well but just uh, any young person or, or even older person who's there google Duncan Edwards goal Berlin and you'll see a goal he scored when he was still a teenager against the world champions, West Germany, um, in which a few of them try to take him out. Well, of course, the players in England very quickly learned don't even bother trying, you know, because he's, as well as being uh, very gifted, he was, he was as tough as teak. Um, and he scores this goal, he runs through the German team, starting at the center circle. And then when he's within about 22, he unleashes a shot of which Bobby Charlton would have been proud. Um, and the, I swear that the ball is squirming around, spinning around the back of the net before the goalkeeper's dive is finished. Um, and no backlift lift mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, from Edwards as he shot. I mean, just fantastic. And I never saw him,
0: Martin, I think. Did you see him once? No, oh, I didn't know. No, the 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 other player who would come into contention in that team, of course, was Tommy Taylor, who had a fantastic ratio of goals to games, probably probably the best. Mm. So he he would have been in in, in the nomination somewhere up front. Yeah,
2: um, Matt. When he,
0: Matt first
2: retired, Martin may remember this in '69. Well, obviously you'll remember Matt retiring because you had to help deal with it, but. <laughs> um, uh, the um, he was asked to pick his best team and I don't know whether he'd been primed but he he rolled off a team at his at his press conference uh, you, you know basically as Martin is doing now the best of his time and he included uh, uh, I, I wish I could remember I could probably look it up but he included um, at outside left Charlie mitten who he actually bombed out of the club <laughs> but he he still had a, a, such a high regard and of course I, I Duncan Edwards was not only on his team sheet but I would bet my life that he was the first name on that team sheet
1: mm. um, Martin mentioned the strikers so let's get on to those because we've got four players left in the team the, the strikers and the wingers and with wingers being such a quintessential united position I, I thought we'd, we'd go with the strikers first of all um, again I mean, Martin. So many names. You've got the top score So many players who've scored so many goals for the club over the eras. Um, this is when I looked at your selection. I was thinking it's it's a great selection again. But um, t- tell us through how you omitted some of those names.
0: Well, again, when I first started watching, Dennis Viollet was the uh, the centre forward, and of course, Dennis, Dennis Viollet was Tommy Taylor's partner up front prior mm. to the Munich crash. So. And uh, he he still holds actually the club goals scoring record in a season, 32 goals. Nobody's actually uh, topped that. Although uh, Ronaldo got very close a couple of years, a few years ago. Um, so you had Violet in, in the 60s. Um, in the, uh, the 70s, of course, you had Stuart Pearson came in and scored a lot of goals. You had Greenoff in there, and, and Pearson was probably the two front two in the 80s you had Norman Whiteside up there uh, you know and then in the 90s you had Mark Hughes up there and all the rest of it uh, but, but of course in, this, in the 60s you also had uh, Dennis Law Dennis Law and David Hurd were a great partnership also in, in, in the 60s and then later on of course you had R- Wayne Rooney came in, Mark Hughes of course came in, Wayne Rooney so you've had some great great um, centre boards and of course Van Nistelrooy was in there, he came in uh, you know, so a lot of forwards to uh, to choose from uh, but I still believe that, that for me uh, the best centre forward or the best goalscorer still still not, uh, he holds the record in F- FA Cup goals for Manchester United a great goalscorer for Scotland held re- still, I think he still holds the record as Scottish top goalscorer would be Dennis Law I'd find it very difficult to leave Dennis out as my out and out striker up front if you're looking off the front then you've got all sorts of players to choose from, you know. Players like Cantona come into it, Van Nistelrooy comes into it. Uh but of course, you know, how can you leave Bobby Charlton out, you know? As, 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 as you've got to you've got our Bobby in somewhere mm-hmm. and I think off the front as the number 10 uh, supporting uh, is probably the position I'd pick him in in my side. Bobby could play anywhere across the front. He could play inside left. He could even play left wing. He played a few years on the left wing. Uh, he could play midfield. He could play anywhere. But I think just think that position just off the front where he could help out the midfield. Uh, and when you hear my wingers, you you, you won't be too worried about scoring <laughs> scoring goals. Uh, you know, with Dennis up front. So, um, you know, some great strikers for the club, but I think, I think probably Dennis up front with Van Nistelrooy on the bench and Bobby Charlton just off the front with Cantona on the bench because I think Cantona challenges in that position as well. Great, great player there. You know, when you think Eric was at the club for five years, four of those years we, we, we won the league and two of those we did the double. And I actually believe that he hadn't been sent off at Crystal Palace we'd have actually won, done the double three years on the trot because we'd just lost the league by one point and we lost the cup final by one goal, I think with Eric in the side there that year, we'd have, we'd have done the double in 95 as well. So, uh, you know, fantastic career, but I still can't pick him in front of Bobby in that position just off the front. So, um, again, difficult, but, uh, you know, when you think that Dennis and Bobby were both European footballers of the year as well, yeah, that, that that's that's a
1: big thing for me, especially looking at this selection on the forward uh, four players. That that's such a critical thing, Paddy, with with um, the credentials there. But Bobby Charlton, for example, for generations he was the top scorer for England and and for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, and Denny Law, <laughs> to my mind, the um, perfect striker. But um, when we're talking about the versatility of this team, <laughs> Denny Law's got a funny story about him, hasn't he? Well.
2: That- Dennis told me when I was researching one of my books um, that uh, he played out of position uh, almost throughout his career with Manchester United. Um, Martin may be able to to just finesse that slightly, but um, that's what he basically said to me, that he came to United, his vision of himself was as a sort of Brian Robson type player, you know, all all-action midfielder who could score goals as well as as Brian obviously did uh, for England as well as as United. Um, but I was amazed at this because I, I, you know, I just thought of him as, as as one of the world's great strikers of his time. Uh, and he said, no, no, no. He said I was, that. And, and of course, going back to his time at Huddersfield, he came to the fore as an eighteen-year-old under Shankly and Andy Beattie down at Huddersfield and he was, he was an 18 year old uh, midfield player um, who, who could score and um, so it was extraordinary to think that, uh, that Matt had played him out of position all that time um, One, just one little uh, other tiny thing is um, that manager Martin Edwards is that he's not afraid to take tough decisions because anybody middle aged uh, listening to this, anybody from thirty to fifty listening to this will say how how can you leave out Eric Cantoner, arguably the most influential single player on the history in the history yeah. of Manchester United, arguably even above Duncan Edwards in terms of <laughs> the catalyst for success, and paul Scholes. Mm. but let me tell you that Bobby Charlton was Better than Paul Scholes, and uh, whether you believe it or not, he was he was he was uh, maybe a a grade above Paul Scholes. He was a he was in the nineteen sixties. He was a synonym for English football. You know, Mm. you would you 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 know people all over the world. You would meet them, and English. You know, not everybody talked English in those days, but they knew the words Bobby Charlton. Mm. That was. That was the stature of the man. So that even Scholes, even Cantona, yes, would have to, uh, would have to bow to Charlton. Once again, uh, uh, I would thoroughly endorse uh, Martin's selections uh, yeah. for, for his numbers 9 and 10. But his wingers, uh, that, this, is, this is the test. So far he's got a 100% record, in my opinion. <laughs> but... Let's see who his wingers
1: are. Yeah, there is right. I mean, you you mentioned well, Martin mentioned their loan Charlton two players who could have played at different positions and often did um, in various times in their career. Charlton, a little bit of a nod I I want to give to him um, because. Yes, perhaps he didn't have the dribbling style of some of the players we're about to mention, but if you watch him play, it's the way that he glided with the ball. In a way that Scholes, he didn't do that. He, he could move with the ball so gracefully, and it wasn't all about thunderbolts from um, 30 yards. His positioning and his sort of the way that he knew how to move into areas was just extraordinary. That area where, when he was at his peak for, for club and country, just an and. It, incredible player and it's not just about appearances and goal records go back and watch footage of Charlton playing there's plenty of it available and you'll I think people would develop a new um, appreciation for him so I think some people look at the legend Paddy they look at Sir Bobby Charlton, they look at the fact he was synonymous with English mm-hmm. football and it can, the actual quality of the player gets lost sometimes mm-hmm. um, having said that, there's no danger of anyone undervaluing the quality of the final two selections of Martin side um, but the winger area again, if we're talking about where United are blessed with talent, the winger area is is one of the premium positions in the team um, Martin, it's interesting to know where you went with this and how you ended and settled with the, the two that you did
0: the, the club's always been known for its, its attacking play and its wingers and when I first started watching United, the two wingers were Warren Bradley, who played for England on the right wing. He was an amateur before Munich and then turned pro, played for England, and Albert Scanlon on the left wing, who was also a bit of a flyer, and was in the team before, before Munich. Um, then, of course, that was in the 60s. In the 70s, of course, you had uh, uh, Koppel and Hill, two very exciting wingers, and, uh, you know, all those that remember United in the 70s, they all talk about Hill and Copple because they, they, uh, they were so exciting. Uh, and Copple, of course, had a great career with, uh, with England before he got injured as well. Um, in the 80s, you then you had Gordon Strachan and Olsen on the wings, mm-hmm. again, attacking players. That was sort of befitting the style of the, uh, the club. And then, of course, you go to the 90s. You, in the early 90s, you had Lee Sharp there. And then, of course, you had um, uh, Giggs on the left and Beckham on the right. Again, very, uh, very exciting uh, players. Uh, and of course, in, in the in the 60s, you you had uh, Best and Aston who, who were playing, and, and you had John Canelli who came in for a while, and Best went to the left, and Canelli came in on the right, and he was a very very useful player for the club for for a, a, a few years. Where would Chelskis Chelsea? fit, fit into that? Would he come into consideration? Um, before Beckham, just before Beckham. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and was there for three or four years and, and did, did, did very well and then, until he went to Everton and then Beckham, but I think Alec let him go because he had Beckham in the wings. I uh, see. So, uh, yeah, so he went, he, again, very, very useful, uh, useful player. So we've had plenty of good wingers. But you know, when you look at the the, the, the two best of all that, uh, had to, and of course I've not mentioned him uh, yet, Ronaldo. When Beckham left, um, Alec mm-hmm. was happy to let Beckham go because he he he, uh, he had Ronaldo lined up, um, and of course we we all know what happened with Ronaldo. And of course he was there in 2008 when we won the the Champions League, gone on to be. <laughs> I think he's five times world player of the year um, you know absolutely incredible so uh, you couldn't you couldn't leave him out uh, he'd have to be my, my right winger and the left winger again absolutely speaks for himself the outstanding player of the, of the outstanding winger of the, the 60s again a world class player European Football of the Year George Best I Just th- those two for me are the absolute outstanding wingers of all the players we've mentioned there were some good players there but you'll not get better than those two anywhere. Both world-class, both outstanding, both scored goals for fun from the wing, and you could play them anywhere. anywhere. The thing about the whole team is the versatility of it. When you think Law could play, you were right before you when you were talking about Dennis Law, Dennis Law could play midfield. He, he, you know, he could play midfield, he could play up front. Bobby could play midfield, left wing, up front, wherever you want. Bess could play right or left, or up front. Ronaldo could play right, or up front you know it's the versatility uh, you know and then when you, you 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 look at the bench you know you, you've got people like Cantona on the bench and and, and, uh, and great players you know what I mean it's the whole it's the whole mix and versatility of the of, of, of the team really
1: a little bit, a little bit about George Martin, if you don't mind. Um, we talk about Ronaldo as the standout player of the that European Cup winning team, as as he was. He was uh, he scored the most goals. He won the the Ballon d'Or, and everyone has got a recent enough picture of Ronaldo um, playing for United, and uh, they know the qualities that he brings to the side does it put it into a different perspective that George was the Europe, he was the best player in a team that had two, they already had two European players of the year in and also that when we won the European Cup he scored a goal that came directly from his imagination as well, does that sort of underline how good George was?
0: Yeah, I mean he unlocked the door in that in that final, you know, we, we go into extra time and all the rest of it and George produces this fantastic goal to put us 2-1 up in extra time, and it all went on from there uh, the thing about George was uh, the tragedy for George. Was that the you know, the he was the youngster in that team, one of of the youngsters in that team. And once the team had won the European Cup, it was almost as though they they took the foot off the pedal a little bit. And George got very frustrated, he was only like 22 when we won the European Cup, Mm -hmm. he had years ahead of him. But the team was going downhill slightly. One or two of the players, Bill Fouts and uh, Shay Brennan, and uh, uh, he. Uh, even probably Paddy, one or two of the players were getting a little bit yeah, older yeah, yeah, and yeah. took the foot off the pedal, and that frustrated George. and That's when his problems began. We, we, George could have gone on for, for many more years at the, at the top, but when you think about it, he probably started at 25, he started to go downhill. At 27, he was finished at United. I mean, today, he, he could have gone on with modern treatment and all the rest of it, he could have probably gone on another seven years. For, for for United at the top, think of all the records he would have um, broken. You know what I mean? He was a fantastic, fantastic. But if yeah. you put Cristiano
2: uh, Ronaldo's longevity, I mean, he's still at the top, playing at the top level. At was he 35, 36? Uh, you know, if if George could have had an extra eight years, I mean, the mind boggles, doesn't it?
0: And he, he still scored 178 goals for us, even in the short career he had, you know what I mean? So it's amazing, really, from the wing.
2: And I, I must tell you a story about George. People who never saw him, uh, well, it's, it's, it's legend that he was glamorous, he was exciting, uh, it, you know, with his flowing dark hair and, and, and fantastic, you know, physique. And, and, and also, it must be said, his mischief... Um, you know, the the hand in the ball to the defender as if to say, well, you obviously want it that much. Why don't you have it? Take it home with you. Um, uh, 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 and he and it, it did have have a lot to put up with. But one memory I have of his athleticism. I mean, this was a phenomenal athlete as well as a great technician and a one and a great entertainer. We were uh, we, you were playing Liverpool. <laughs> and I was uh, was, uh, it was many many years ago and I used to watch City one week United the next and I was standing at what was called in those days the Warwick Road end which would now be the end uh, bordered by Sir Matt Busby Way and um, it was open at that time I remember standing about halfway up the terracing there and Liverpool had a corner it was taken by a winger that um, certainly Martin will remember called Peter Thompson very good right footed left winger that liverpool had an, an outstanding set piece deliverer and he took this and the center half who was a giant called ron yeats a scotsman from aberdeen uh, and a very very good good center half but huge um, uh, and he came forward for this corner and he leapt and knowing peter thompson would put it on a sixpence he leapt and I, I swear, standing behind the goal, I saw him, his next muscles flex as he prepared to head this ball past Alex Stepney. But before he could do that, uh, a red-clad... Uh, Liverpool were playing in white, they're away stripping. A red-clad sort of imp jumped above him. This massive man who, at the height of his leap, jumped a one foot above him and headed the ball away so forcefully that in certainly in my recollection it nearly reached the halfway line that was George he could have been a (laughs) 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 centre-half he could do anything
1: it's just again he speaks volumes of the versatility but I think Martin said it best when he looked at George's goal record 178 goals at the the age of 27 and and, yes, we do have this tendency to look... I mean, we're talking a, a week or so after Diego Maradona passed away and everyone's celebrating what Diego did, and, and rightly so. And I think people, perhaps because of the fact that there were so many years spent away from United, people have a tendency to look at what could have been uh, instead of what actually was. And I think Martin, including George and his team, speaks volumes for what he achieved while he was at the club and how good he was. Um, yeah, just an incredible player and and like uh, we were alluding to earlier you've got four European players of the year in the front four and you can't argue with that when you're looking
2: I was just thinking Wayne as you were saying that it's just as well Diego Maradona you mentioned the great Diego Maradona and of course every Man United fan of a certain age will remember uh, the day when he came to Old Trafford and was out Maradona'd by Brian Robson on a memorable victory for, for United um, against Barcelona. But I was just thinking, <laughs> Martin is very, very lucky boy, really, because it's lucky that he never signed... Diego Maradona for United because <laughs> who would he have dropped out of that front four to get Maradona in it doesn't bear thinking about and I'm not going to put him on the spot by asking him because it'll not be fair
1: no but um, th- well you mentioned that but there's two notable omissions and we've talked through all of these players and there are two players I-, I want to mention just to briefly um, refer them to Martin Um there's the top scorer in the club's history now, Wayne Rooney, and the highest appearance maker and the most successful player in the in British history, oh well, in English football history, maybe not Scottish football history. Ryan Giggs, um, two players there, uh, Martin. Um, I'm, I'm not going to ask you for your reasons why they they're excluded, but it just goes to show how blessed we've been, um, and especially how blessed you've been to watch all, all these incredible players play for the club that they don't make the eleven. Yeah,
0: well, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you're right there. I did pick Giggs, by the way, uh, as uh, on the bench, to cover for either Giggs uh, to cover for uh, Ronaldo, or Best. Um, And although Giggs was mainly on the left, whoever got injured there, George could play on the right, or or Ronaldo could play right or left. So you got plenty of versatility there. So I did pick Giggs in the squad. Rooney, um, again, to leave Rooney out, but but where would I be playing Rooney I'd either be playing him the choice was down to the three between Bobby Charlton uh, Cantona and Rooney for that number 10 off the front so again um, you know unlucky not not to be in but I, but I did pick Cantona and Bobby ahead of him uh, he, as good as Rooney was so uh, you know difficult but you've just got to make your choices haven't you
2: yeah, it, it it is quite extraordinary to reflect that for for many people listening to this, uh young, you know, people of of middle age or younger, for 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 Martin Edwards to pick uh, a team which, in my opinion, was spot on from one to eleven, that didn't include not only Rooney but, in my opinion, more pertinently, Cantona, Giggs, one of the greatest swingers that's ever played in English football, mm. in my opinion, and. Um, and uh, schools, I mean, they will be open mouthed, but all I can say is, having seen all the players, I'm with uh, with Martin on every from one to 11.
1: Yeah, you almost think you're almost tempted to pick an 11 to go against them, are you? From United yeah, history.
2: yeah. And, and let's see if, yeah, play them off against each other, that'd be <laughs> incredible. And Nobby Styles would be in it, he'd probably do a man marking job on. Roy Keane, that'd be something to see.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we close out, Martin, give you one last chance to run through the 11. Well,
0: in goal, I'm going for Peter Schmeichel. At right back, I'm going for Dennis Irwin. At left back, I'm going for Tony Dunn. At right centre-back, I'm going for Yapstam. At left centre-back, I'm going for Rio Ferdinand. My two midfield players is right side in midfield, Keane, left side in midfield, Robson. I'm going for uh, Ronaldo on the right wing, Best on the left wing, Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law up front.
1: Incredible team, that um, that was the best 11 in Manchester United history then, as chosen by former chairman Martin Edwards as we have discussed, you can read about that in, in Martin's excellent book Red Glory, which I all heartedly recommend, a fascinating read about the club and Martin's involvement in his memories as well, of following United as a as a child and a, adult as well, and the decisions that he took um, over his ownership and everything like that, it, it, just a fascinating read, I, I really do recommend it and I'm sure I also speak for Paddy when I I thank Martin not only for his time, but his um, crucial assistance in our own work as well. It is is deeply appreciated. Um, not least this podcast, which has been a real pleasure to do. Um, we
0: hope that you enjoyed it, and we'll be back soon with another Best Eleven.